0: Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide on this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today on the podcast, I talk to Kristen Mandela. She is a sustainability advocate based in Toronto, Canada, who focuses on slow fashion, veganism, and climate justice. Lately, her time has been spent fostering dogs and bridging the gap between self-care and planet care. In this episode, we get into veganism, environmental issues, and specifically, she does an amazing job of explaining what fast fashion is and the environmental impact it has. Here we go. So thank you for joining me on the podcast. Super excited to connect with you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun. Um, I don't remember how I found you on Instagram. Who knows? Mm -hmm. with social media, really. Um, yeah. But I've really enjoyed following you and the content you put out and the conversations you start. Um, I feel really aligned with a thank lot you. of your material. So I really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah. Likewise. Likewise.
0: So thank um, you. Yeah. Of course. So the podcast is called Consciously Clueless. And I mm. really liked that name, or I, it stuck, I guess, because I feel like I'm on this journey of sometimes you are feeling like, yeah, I totally understand the world and I'm feeling really conscious and with it. And then there's other days where you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm so clueless. So I like to start (laughs) with asking people where they're at right in this moment on that spectrum of conscious to clueless. Oh,
1: what an interesting, I love, I love that idea. And I, I totally align with that. I like that with that mindset. I feel like, especially this year, I've had to really re-question and um like redefine how I find myself and my worldviews and like where I am I think a lot of people have found themselves in that too Mm -hmm. I think for me I'm probably pretty I think I just was in a very big clueless (laughs) valley (laughs) and now I'm kind of coming over the edge where I'm feeling a little bit more grounded in myself and my in in relation to the world so I'd say I'm I'm on the cusp of both
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's a constant swing, right? Mm-hmm. Back and forth. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the things that you talk a lot um on your page is about being vegan. So I'm really curious. I love hearing mm-hmm. people's like, how how did that happen for you? So when did that happen? How'd that happen? What's the story?
1: Yeah, so It was never really something I thought I was going to be, if that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. I always kind of liked the idea when I was young, my dad would make a joke that I was like a granola in the making, because I like always went to camp and I loved being outside. And I was just like, I always had dirt on my face somehow.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I liked the idea of being vegetarian. I think I, I didn't actually really know what vegan was, especially when I was growing up. I think I was it just wasn't really a movement like it, especially not like it is now.
0: Totally. Um,
1: but I kind of align myself, I guess, with being like all like the hippie kind of vibe. I used to remember always talking about, oh, I wish I was born in like a, a different era, like there's no hippies around. Like I don't know who I I've thought said I was. That. But <laughs> yeah, seriously. But now I'm like, okay, this is like a different time, but it's yes. also necessary that we are here now. Mm-hmm. Um but, yeah, I played around with vegetarianism, but I used to call myself a convenience vegetarian because I never felt comfortable in any type of social setting putting anyone into an uncomfortable position with, like, having to make me a separate meal mm. or having to, like, choose a different restaurant. Like, I hated taking up space in that way. Like, I always felt like it was, like, super disrespectful. And I would travel a lot, and I'd be like, oh, if this family made me this meal, like, I can never say no. And then... Um, I got back after traveling for like three or so months and I felt terrible and my skin had broken out everywhere. And I just like, I thought when I would get back from this trip, I guess I'd really romanticized it. I thought I'd like feel the best I'd ever felt and like so healthy and so Mm -hmm. like in my own body. And I just didn't, I felt really disconnected from myself and I felt really terrible and bloated and lethargic. Um, so I started seeing a naturopath and a dietitian, and she was like, Hey, listen, like, I know you're dabbling with vegetarianism, but like, just try to go cold turkey terpine- no pun intended. Um, no dairy, <laughs> no dairy for two weeks. And I, at that point I had like, I had never really thought about not eating dairy. I wasn't really super into eating red meat at that point, but I was like, sure, I'll go to no dairy for two weeks. And after the first week, I literally started to cry because I felt so much oh, better. Wow. And I was like, I didn't realize that I could feel this good because I had been feeling so inflamed for so long that I just like, I was in awe. I actually like, couldn't, I couldn't, I was like, oh my God, like people feel like this. Like I'm sleeping so well and my skin was so great. And I was like, holy crap. Okay, this is obviously something that's like real. So I, I was like, okay, so I feel so much better after dairy. I'm not really eating any meat right now. So why don't I just like go the full, yeah, but there were still some reservations, obviously around family and friends. They were like, well, the protein and the blah, 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 like all my family and friends, like eat way worse than I do. Somehow they become all of a sudden dietitians, but
0: yes, it's so funny how often that comes up with people that are like, yeah. And all of a sudden everyone in my life was a like nutrition expert.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like people that have so many of their own health issues and like they have like sleep apnea and all these different things. They're all of a sudden worried about my protein intake, but I was like, I'm going to be okay. Um, and I watched, I was like, okay, let me just do my research. So at least I have my own talking points to come back with my family. Mm. I watched the, I watched Cowspiracy. I watched Earthlings. I watched Forks Over Knives. I like cried for three weeks straight. Yep. <laughs> I had like the full reckoning with myself. Um And then I think Dominion came out a little bit later once I was already vegan. And that was like a whole different thing, but um, it was just kind of like an overnight. Okay. Enough is enough. Like I've been toying with this idea for so long since I was like 17, 16, I always was like, I'll be vegetarian one day. Um, And then, yeah, it was in 2015, 2016. I was just like, that's, that's enough. And then I felt so much better, not only physically, like with my diet, but, Um, like emotionally I don't know how to explain like I had almost like a it sounds very cheesy and I and I recognize that but I almost had like a, a compassion rebirth or something it was like very powerful for me I saw all living things on this like completely equal spectrum to me and I saw like just way less. Yeah. I don't know. It was hard at the same time because I was much more emotional about everything. So when I did see somebody eating meat, I was like, Oh my God, you're eating a dead animal. Like what the hell?
2: Um,
1: but it was a really beautiful, like very transformational experience that I'm like very grateful that I had. I think it's probably, as most people know, it kind of calms down after a few years, like not in a bad way, in a in a manageable way. Um, but it was very overwhelming when I first fully stopped eating all animal products. It's so
0: interesting because I think there's a lot of misconception about how people become vegan sometimes too. Like it's not necessarily this, I accidentally stumbled onto a farm and saw Mm -hmm. a slaughterhouse. It's like my too was just like, I started with health. I'm lactose intolerant. Mm -hmm. And I had the same experience where when I really cut out dairy, I was like, oh my gosh, i felt shitty holy. for <laughs> so long. This is just like feeling totally. good. People just feel this way.
1: Yeah. People have energy all the time. Like, yeah, people's stomachs don't yeah. hurt every time they eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so wild to me. And like, it seems so, it becomes so radicalized in how people talk about it. They're like, whoa, like you're, you're excluding so much out of your diet and blah, 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 blah um and to be fully honest like it wasn't even really an animal thing for me when I started watching the documentaries like I'd always been like I'm an animal lover I'm an animal mm-hmm. lover but like that huge cognitive dissonance like yes. disconnect. but it was really the environmental impacts that had driven a lot of my research and top in terms of like watching Cowspiracy and I was kind of just curious when I got back from my trip I was like how can I like limit my impact living in an urban environment as much as possible and everything that came back was like you have To consider limiting or at least or or excluding your meat and dairy intake and then from there I was like once I did see the slaughterhouse footage I felt like my eyes were like completely opened to just how terrible the industrial animal agriculture practices are.
0: Did you go through you talked about how like at first you were a lot more emotional um, with everything did you go through the angry vegan, angry vegan? <laughs> phase because I talked yeah. about that a couple weeks ago because I would have scoffed at that you know mm. but it's a real thing that can happen it's a very
1: real thing I would say I didn't go f- fully angry vegan I don't know maybe I did but it's it was more just like I became I, I started bombarding myself with information I think for me, what was really difficult and what was such a huge learning was once I did learn all these things and I tried to educate people in my life in the way that I learned it, which Mm -hmm. is not how everybody learns, I was really upset that people didn't um, take to the information the way that I did. Yeah, girl. I would would show them a video like James Aspie, the best speech you've ever seen, blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, isn't this crazy? Like you can never eat meat again or whatever. And they'd be like, wow, like that's really interesting. And then they'd go and finish their pork chop or whatever. And I'd be like, wait, why isn't this having the exact same effect that it's having on me? And that was what caused more anger. I think than anything is that I just couldn't relate to people who were confronted with this information and then still decided that they wanted to like continue eating and and living in the same way. And I just couldn't relate to that. I was like, wait, what's that? What's happening here? Like, what's this disconnect? And then a few years later, obviously, you kind of realize that everyone's life story kind of affects their perception of the world. And you can't just put my life experiences on somebody else and be like, see, didn't you have this exact same reaction? Because that's just not how yeah. how things work. So it just took me a little bit of time to get there. But at the beginning, especially, I was like very confused as to why everyone wasn't vegan once they figured it out. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I relate so much to that. I've actually apologized to people in my life and been like, look, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it a few months. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Like I did not approach these conversations with the same love and mm. compassion I would want someone to approach them with me totally that's not fair and I'm sorry Mm if you felt judged because of that because that's the last thing I was trying to do but it's coming from this place of being like I just want you to be
1: happy yeah exactly it's and I've had it related almost to like a like a born-again Christian mentality almost Mm. and I know that that might be kind of controversial but like in terms of seeing the world in a completely different way and just wanting other people to also experience it in that way yes and when somebody kind of brought it to me like that I was like oh my god like that isn't I, I can understand because once your worldview is changed so drastically you do kind of want to show people your mindset but it can also be quite an isolating and kind of a confrontational way of communicating that and I think when you just meet people where they are and be like listen these are the reasons that I am making my decisions I I think that there is this is a rational line of reasoning that like i have been confronted, confronted with this information and this is my action because of it but i also recognize that like that may not be the same line for you um but i think the biggest thing that i've learned is just living by example i think when you're like a very happy fun not always you don't always have to be happy and fun but i think when you confront those conversations with just being like super lighthearted and easy going people are going to be more naturally drawn to having a conversation with you um And that's going to be a more successful. I I like planting seeds almost rather than just expecting someone to like vow to be vegan in the conversation. Totally.
0: There's people in my life that I can see as soon as I backed off, they started asking Mm. me questions. I was like, right. Oh, that's
1: awesome. Like,
0: (laughs) this is how that works. (laughs) Yeah. Like, this makes more sense. Okay. Did you have you had people in your life that you've? converted?
1: (laughs) Um, I do have I do have a few success stories that I'm quite proud of. Um, (laughs) My parents I'm still working on to be honest those are like that's going to be the long that's going to be the long haul. My dad has um, I would say flirted with veganism because he had a concussion and his doctor that he was working with was just saying like he basically had to eliminate all inflammatory foods and a big part of that was gluten and dairy which he eats a lot of my my dad's side is italian so that's like a big part of um, just food in general is yep. enjoying food but also uh, eating nice cheeses and all that kind of stuff so when he did cut that out he felt amazing but i think for him especially cuz i don't live in the house anymore it's hard to uh, he's not going to make himself um, a meal that the rest of the family won't be eating mm. so I think until the whole I have to get my little sister and my stepmom and then once I get all of them I think my dad will probably convert <laughs> but um, my roommate right now um, is vegan and has been vegan for I guess almost like a year and a half we started living together in February and before then she was kind of always like would would order the vegetarian like items on a menu but had the same kind of conflict with not wanting to put anyone out and then we had this big conversation and she would be like well I would be vegan if it wasn't for this and I was like okay then be vegan except for that like you know what I mean I kind of called her out yeah. on like, I'm like okay yeah. then then at least try then try like if, if you want to be that then just try and when we started living together we just made all of our meals and um, now she like is um uh, Yeah. Super happy to be vegan. I would say, I'm not going to speak for her. She's obviously not here, but (laughs) I'm like behind her being like, you're happy. Right. (laughs) Um, And then my partner and his roommate, him and I have been together for like over two years and have known each other for like forever, but um, he's now plant-based at home. And then his family is Mexican and Spanish. So when he's home, it's quite difficult to eliminate meat. And Mm -hmm. I would say, that's going to be a bit of a longer thing. Um, But he doesn't bring any meat or animal products into the house, which is like, which is awesome.
0: Was that hard for you or is that hard for you for him not to be fully vegan? Like, is that ever a point of contention?
1: It, I thought it would be, to be honest. And it was with my previous partner, which is really funny. So for him, I kind of was like, listen, hop on or get off like I don't care like you're vegan or you're like or we're not together anymore and I think that speaks to like larger issues in that relationship but um I and then he became vegan and then once we broke up he immediately went back to eating meat and oh, wow. one big conversation that Andres and I had yeah it was like immediate it was like a little bit rude actually <laughs> It was like okay we get it you only did it for me I guess but fine um which I didn't want in this relationship. Um, so Andres and I had a big conversation and he was like, listen, like, I totally understand where you're coming from. I like, I love your passion around this and I respect why you are vegan, but this is going to have to happen like, because I want it to happen, not because you want me to become vegan. Mm-hmm. So once we took it off of the table as being, you can't really be in a relationship when you're loving people conditionally. And I agreed that. Um, if we were going to have a good relationship, I couldn't love him on the condition of him eventually becoming vegan. I just had to love him for where he's at now because I'm far from perfect as well. So it goes both ways. Um, so right now, like whenever he does, whenever we have meals together, they're always vegan. When we go to restaurants together, they're always vegan restaurants when that was a thing post or pre this whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah. I, I think he's well on the way. Like he watches vegan documentaries without me even badgering him about it. And he'll text me about them. And I'm like, okay, we're getting somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> But um, I think it does have to happen on your own, at your own pace. Yeah.
0: I think what you said is so crucial, like remembering like, oh, I'm not perfect either. And I think that is something, especially mm-hmm. when you like first dive into all these issues, like I strove for perfection. Like when I started learning about Mm-hmm. environment and veganism and started living more low waste like I would have a freaking panic attack if I accidentally forgot to ask oh my god for no straw in a drink at a restaurant and I'd be like well I've failed as a human yeah. of what is I'm anyone, trying to preach. is anyone
1: seeing me does anyone see me cheating <laughs> yes
0: exactly and then it's like that's not fun and that's no. also you like no one's gonna want to listen to me if I look crazy because I got a straw
1: like is the straw the problem (laughs) honestly so if you had asked me like three years ago I would be like yes individual action is the problem like it's the people's disconnect from nature and I think that there is validity to that argument I think that there are a lot of issues surrounding like how individuals consume without having any thought to of the consequences of the repercussions that there are in our natural world which is the world that we live in no matter how disconnected we do feel from it right um but i think on a larger scale the bigger problem is the fact that there can be like millions um or like multinational corporations that can kind of like operate unimpeded without regulations can dump forever chemicals into our water systems can kind of like live in a a climate like a, a world where they really don't have any consequences for their actions and I think that I have learned is much more of an issue like the system versus the individual I would Mm -hmm. say the system like bar none has way more of an issue in terms of like the climate and the climate crisis that we're in right now but I do think that there is a lot to be gained from feeling more in touch with nature through your actions and through your consumer behaviors and through, yeah, like how you operate every single day, like even little things like turning on the tap and having gratitude and understanding where that water is coming from. Um, So like picking up garbage in your neighborhood, understanding how the waste system works, so that you're not putting things that are in the garbage or that are meant for the garbage or the landfill into the recycling and vice versa. I think those are very important things, but I think on a bigger scale, on an individual level like the recycling for example a lot of it's going to get mixed up by other houses like it is kind of like a a losing battle in a lot of cases but if I go through that like like argument I feel like it's like pulling a a thread on a sweater or whatever that saying is where Mm -hmm. I feel like my brain my brain goes in circles being like it is the individual but it is the system um yeah I, I don't think you can have necessarily one without the other
0: Definitely, which I think segues really well into this conversation about um, fast fashion.
1: Mm. And
0: that's something that is one of the newer things to me. And by newer, I mean in the last like year or two. But that was Mm -hmm. when I became vegan and more in tune with some of the environmental issues. I was like very focused on like agriculture and that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. then I don't remember what sparked it. Probably something on social media that I saw mm-hmm. about fast fashion and I just had like the biggest light bulb moment of like totally oh that shit matters too totally and then
1: you just dive in and <laughs> and then it's like oh god there's been all the, like this whole other facet that I've been ignoring And I think that's the one kind of harm that happens with social media is that sometimes you kind of with the algorithm, like the way it is, you kind of create your own vacuum of information. And Mm. I think sometimes that means that like when I was in that really like intense vegan phase, everything that I was learning and consuming and posting was really circulated around that being the only issue. And I remember going to talks. And they would talk about transportation and all these different things. I'm like, this is a waste of time. They're not even talking about animal agriculture. They're in the pocket of the big, like whatever, like lobbyist groups. And I'm like, okay, I'm losing sight of the big picture because you do need all these different people fighting for climate crisis from all these different facets. And fast fashion is one that's so important because everybody wears clothes and everyone kind of has that disconnect where when they look at a cotton shirt, they're not thinking that a farmer had anything to do with that process. They're not thinking about soil depletion they're not thinking of the water or the land use and that for me was a huge light bulb moment as you said for yourself as well where you're like oh my god I've been completely blind to this and although I did love love thrifting I didn't come from it from a particularly environmental stance I just kind of liked again the granola in me like like the looks and having like unique pieces and I liked going to thrift stores but I didn't necessarily have the direct information to understand why environmentally fast fashion was just so terrible and ethically like it's just it's an absolute crapshoot
0: yeah can you talk a little bit more about some of what you've learned in terms of like environmental impact and like or I guess what is fast fashion because I think yeah um, I've had so many great conversations on this podcast but one of the things I was excited to talk to you about was that is something I haven't explored very much and I really love the information you share on it
1: oh thanks um, yeah, so basically, I'll do like a, um, a cliff note version of how I understand fast fashion versus slow fashion. And slow fashion was just a term that I kind of became more aware of in the past few years. But fast fashion basically being the traditional, um, like clothing industry, the, the, the traditional way of that we've understood uh, producing clothes, which is like H&M, Zara, the really big brand names of, um, of clothing manufacturing that have come to create like 52 different styles or di- like 52 different releases one for every single week constantly producing clothes constantly pushing them out and then in order to maintain any type type of like I guess I guess exclusivity for their clothes a lot of companies end up burning whatever excess is um after after a season so it's a completely wasteful and kind of ridiculous model for making clothes they um, just burn excess Yeah, a lot of big name brands or like department store brands if they want, because they like the exclusivity of like how it's hard to get their items. So it's it's illegal now in some parts of the EU. um, But it's like a very common practice for a lot of big brands to burn their like whatever is uh, left over in stock. And to be honest, like, I think the biggest thing that got me was just the amount of water and resources that is needed to make the amount of clothes that are being produced every single year. It's a pretty over, I don't have like stats um, on me, or if I did, I feel like I'm going to make them up and then they're going to be wrong, but um, (laughs) I can give you some, if you'd like, after this, I should have come a bit more prepared, but um, just like synthetic fabrics polyester, all the different types of elastine and elastics that are um, put into our clothes all come from like fossil fuels from oil um, that are made into plastics and then put into our clothes, which have actual damage on not only being placed on our skin, but then also their afterlife, which I feel like is something that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about when it comes to fashion. But the fact that like if you buy a shirt that's polyester um, or like any type of shirt that has a synthetic fabric in it, it's literally never going to break down. And these clothes are getting put into our landfills and they're not going anywhere for our lifetime. So
0: that's wild.
1: Yeah. It's just hard to think of the way that we consume clothing right now, especially I think in the Instagram age is so detrimental because we really love looking at like all these pictures, let's say, and we're not going to be necessarily, um, like repeating outfits very often on our page, like especially with a lot of these influencers that go for like Fashion Nova or Zara or any of these big um, fast fashion brands. And I think it makes it so unrealistic to assume that people don't repeat their clothing. Like obviously people repeat what they wear and they should be repeating what they wear. Um, But because Instagram kind of seems like this vacuum of, of perfection and fashion and all these different things, we're not seeing that aspect of it where people are like caring for their clothes, wearing them for years. Um, And now it's kind of just like this crazy cyclical model of, again, this is kind of a pre COVID era where people were like going out all the time, but where for every different event, you're buying a new shirt or a new pair of jeans or a new heel or, or whatever it may be. And it just, it's a complete, it's it's just like an unsustainable of way of consuming products.
0: I remember in college, in undergrad, literally looking at photos, it was on Facebook at that time, (laughs) not on on Instagram, I I remember (laughs) looking at photos and being like, what did I wear last time we went out? So I wouldn't be in the
1: same outfit. I remember that exact same thing where literally I would have to remember or ask my friends being like, what did I wear? Or like, yeah, again, looking at pictures and I remember like liking this one shirt so much and I was like, oh crap, I really want to wear it to this party, but I wore it last weekend. And that's just such a ridiculous mindset to be in, because to expect everyone to be wearing something new every single time that they see people is just it's so ridiculous. But I think social media has really exacerbated that. I think when we were in the Facebook era, that was one thing, but the consuming that happens on Instagram, especially when you can literally buy things off of the platform now, is just so much, yeah, it's just so much more exacerbated.
0: Yeah. And when I think about it too, like anybody was gonna notice. No, people are all worried about their own stuff. They don't care about what you're wearing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like anybody was gonna be like, Carly wore that shirt three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And also if that's that person then they need to get a hobby. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um,
0: that's so interesting. So like what sparked your interest? Like how did you kind of dive into that world?
1: So um, about this, time last year, maybe a little earlier, I started kind of teaming up with my friend Annie and she works in the sustainable denim industry. Um, She works with a few organizations that kind of just talks about slow fashion versus fast fashion. Denim is actually a product that takes, um, I think it's 2,500 gallons of water to make a single pair of jeans. Um, So it's one of the most wasteful and resource intensive items of clothing that we, that we purchase and that we wear. So her, um, whole kind of specialty is surrounding the denim industry finding out ways to kind of reimagine the way that we produce denim right down from like the fabric to the stitching and everything in between and even like the washes like the chemical washes I had no idea were like severely detrimental to those um, in the factories that were working with them because they had all these terrible like unregulated chemicals in them it just it's so terrible and such a um a complex industry but when we started hanging out together she was also very good at taking Uh, pictures of me. (laughs) So we would go into parks and stuff. And the two of us would just take pictures of each other for um, each other's Instagrams. And she just started talking to me about fast fashion and slow fashion and how she it was kind of like her niche. And it really kind of blew the door open for me in terms of, okay, now I actually have to be uh, much more mindful about the companies that I really want to choose to spend my money on. I was already doing that in terms of how I was grocery shopping and how I was consuming other goods. But um, with fashion, it wasn't necessarily as stringent. Like, I still definitely made exceptions when I was going out to events or stuff like that. Um, but a lot of it's just having a little bit more creativity. When you when you plan for something a little bit better, you can way easier find, like, a unique piece um, either online or in a shop, if that's obviously possible for you.
0: Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of greenwashing happening right now, mm. too, where some of oh those, yeah. you know, some of those big fast fashion companies are like, oh, people are starting to care about where their clothes are coming from mm-hmm. and if it's environmental. So we're going to like put these labels on them, but it's bullshit, right? H and M isn't
1: doing enough or whatever, you know? No. Yeah, totally. And I think that's something it would. I see it from in two folds. On one side, greenwashing is so ridiculous and it's obviously a bold-faced lie and a way for them to just like garner more attention and more money. But on another way, from another angle, I'm actually kind of happy that it's happening because it's showing where the market is. And obviously mm-hmm. these big companies are recognizing that the consumers do care about environmentalism. I think it makes consuming consciously much more difficult because it kind of muddies the water in terms of what you can't like what you shouldn't act like should not be purchasing, but big brands care about their bottom line. And if their bottom line and their market is saying that the consumer cares about the environment, it cares about where their materials are coming from and they're adjusting accordingly. Like that's also kind of exciting. I wish that they True. went about it in a little bit more of a holistic way where they're actually transforming their production and actually being transparent about who they pay and how they pay them and all the different things that are so um secretive in in the fashion industry but i kind of am happy to see that like they're responding by being like yeah we we know that you guys like this it's just it is deceptive at the same time which is why it's so disheartening because yeah there's like the h&m conscious collection and then but the, the rest of their collection is obviously business as usual and it's like oh it's it's so patronizing
0: (laughs) yeah and I think it's confusing for people too Mm -hmm. because it's like what about the people who are not going to spend their days researching what brands to buy or I had this moment like my mom and I were shopping this weekend and she was looking at um like fabric softener or laundry detergent Mm. and we were at target and they have some better Mm. brands now and you know they're doing some Mm -hmm. cool things And she asked me, she, you know, Mm -hmm. she's someone who wants to like do better and like start getting better products because of conversations we've had. And she was just like, so how do I know? And I was like, how do you know what? And she was like, how do I know this is an environmentally good brand that, and I was like, Mm. that's such a good question. And I don't have an easy answer. Like we could research all these brands. We could, I don't know, packaging. And it's so hard because it's like good because the market, like you're saying, is responding. So like, you know, Target has this like clean section for beauty products and a clean section Mm -hmm. for laundry soap or whatever. But it's like, okay, how do I know? Like, what is the sign that this is a good thing? And I don't have
1: the right answer yet. Totally. And I think that's such a testament to how truly manipulative these brands are because confusion is what a keeps you in a store longer and it also Mm. keeps you buying more products I remember reading this thing um because my mom is in marketing and she was talking about how they design grocery stores to make things kind of confusing and so you have to go through more than one aisle in order to get all of your products and that's because the chances of you passing more things especially at eye line keep you like buying things that you kind of weren't planning to purchase when you first walked into the store, et cetera, et cetera. And like, it's not like a conspiracy. Like, it's not like I'm like, Oh, the big pharma or the big whatever, but like, there are like tactical ways that people try to confuse us so that we do make different consumer choices. And I think in terms of green products, it's no secret that they put certain kind of product, like they'll greenwash a label, like by tide to have like a little bit of a leaf Even though if you actually read the ingredients, it's no different than their other one. But they've done a really good job of kind of um, aligning themselves with the packaging that's around them without actually doing the due diligence of changing any of their production. And it it is really confusing and it is really difficult. And like despite like my parents' best efforts, I'll still go up and visit them and I'll be like, "What the heck is this? Like, where'd you get this product from? Or where'd you get this?" And they're like, "Oh well, it was in that green section. Or oh, I thought it was good." And it's like. How upsetting is it that like we can't even do the bare minimum, which is like not like poisoning our own bodies, not poisoning our water systems, not um, yeah using chemicals that we know are harmful for ourselves and the planet because these companies like refuse to take any accountability for what they're putting in their bottles. And it is it is definitely very frustrating, especially because there's no legal there's no legal ramifications for saying eco-friendly. There's no mm-hmm. legal are all natural or made with the planet in mind. That doesn't mean anything. Um, like it, it elicits an, a, an idea in our head that we align with or we don't align with, but there's no like made with the planet in mind board that's now going through and testing each and every product. There are certain ones like vegan and like animal tested and all those different right. things that there are actual organizations that you have to buy. Um, like a membership to, to have a sticker and have the people like check out your products or whatever. But for so many of these words, they're just buzzwords and they, they get you in by eliciting the feeling that you want to align with your products, which I think is like so sad. (laughs) Yeah. And
0: it's like, I, I feel for people, like people shouldn't have to spend eight hours researching 12 different companies to buy laundry detergent.
1: Totally, Like the
0: fact that we have to be so diligent like it's Mm -hmm. so frustrating i'm getting like all fired up i'm getting no me too i'm like let's keep chatting about this this is terrible i'm just so frustrated because i just i don't know i just had this moment looking at my mom like trying to make a better choice and being like how do i know Mm -hmm. and i literally was like i don't know how to like i'm not sure this is what i get because i spent three hours on the internet right researching
1: it but you should not have to do that
0: just to not poison yourself yeah
1: totally and I think there's just such um well there's two things there's a lot of brand distrust but there's also a lot of brand loyalty and a lot of these companies Mm. rely on the fact that older people are less likely to make changes in terms of the brands that they've been using for generations and they are likely to trust those brands into the like into the long run like my mom's always like oh well I always use this brand I'm like yeah but if you always do something doesn't mean that it's you know what I mean doesn't mean that it's the mm-hmm. best product but getting people to change over especially when they are a little bit older I think is really difficult and those companies definitely know that you know what I mean even when it comes yeah. down to fashion or food or any of these things like it's it's kind of in anything that we consume like these these marketing habits and these consumer habits and it makes it very disheartening when you want to try to give somebody like a quick fix, like my mom's just like, just tell me like the five products to, to buy And I'm like, right. well, I, I don't know those things for you. Like I don't know what products you want. I don't know what you want out of your products. I just think, yeah, I wish um, I wish there wasn't such a, a monopoly on these big things that, that made it so difficult for people to buy responsibly.
0: Which comes back full circle to what we talked about earlier in terms of, like, is it the straw? (laughs) Right? Like, yeah, it's the companies. And I guess, I mean, I'm not expecting you to have the answer. But when you think about these Mm -hmm. things, like, what is your response to that? Like, we're, we have to hold these companies accountable. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we do that as consumers?
1: I think the biggest thing is with our dollar and I I've always kind of felt like the power of the individual lies in like in a capitalist system it is with how we spend our money and when I buy things I often have to ask like like does this dollar like I'm paying somebody's salary with this like I'm paying somebody like some CEO (laughs) I'm lining their pockets with my hard-earned dollars especially now in this economy where things are so difficult do I want to give my money to a corporation that I know does not care about me doesn't care about my family's health does not care about the health of the environment or do I want to look a little bit harder and find like yeah a soap brand that you know makes something in my area that might be like three dollars more expensive but I know that I'm feeding somebody that does care about like the same things that I care about right and not to say that you can only support brands that align with you like politically or philosophically but I do think that returning back to a small business mindset where we do have a connection to who makes our soap and who like metaphorically milks our cows, like not that I'm buying milk, but you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. kind of returning back to that simplistic way of living where we have a connection to the people that make products for us. And I think that's something that's been lost in like the Amazon era of, I want something I'm pressing buy on prime and I'll see it here tomorrow, same time. That's just not how we should be consuming things anymore. It's unrealistic to expect um, items to be able to arrive at our doorstep in less than 24 hours. Like that's just not how we should be consuming. And I think that's like really where I come down to is I don't want to give myself a hard time. I don't want to live in this world where I can't have a good time or I can't like accidentally go to a bar and get a straw or whatever, (laughs) whatever it may be. But I also want to feel like my, my money is energy that I'm putting out in the world. And I want to put it into companies that really align with me and that are like that care because otherwise um, we're really just making the billionaires richer and us poorer and the world is going to be like less, less happy for it.
0: Yeah. I've been thinking lately, even when I thrift, because I think there's this Mm. um, idea sometimes when you're thrifting, like then that doesn't matter. Like I can mm-hmm. buy anything, yeah. <laughs> but I've been trying, um, which I definitely have done. Like I'm saving money yeah, <laughs> by, yeah, exactly. by buying this. Yeah. Um, but lately I've been really trying to, The your comment about energy made me think about this. I've been really trying to be like, okay, do I need this?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What is it? What is it going to look like in a year? What do I have? that's similar. Like I've been trying to really be diligent about these questions to not fall for the trap, even with someone who like thinks of themselves as a little more educated. Sometimes like there's Mm -hmm. a shiny new, like zero waste. thing, And I'm like, I need that. I'm like, no, I have 14 Mason jars that can hold my food. I don't need this container,
1: but it's hard. Yeah, exactly. And that's, it is kind of like, it's a new type of, Uh, a new way to get our not get our money. I don't want to go into like this whole thing. But I just mean, I think the biggest part of sustainability, conscious living, conscious consuming is slowing down the way that you live and slowing down the way that you consume. And the best way of doing that is just asking those questions before you buy something. I remember hearing about this, um, I think it's a denim company that's in Amsterdam, but they have um, at their cash register, they ask you three questions before they let you buy their, their jeans, which I thought was so cool. And the first question is, um, do you really need this? Do you know what it's made of and what are you going to do with it when you're done? Whoa! And I was like, that's so powerful because it, a, it puts you on the spot. Like, do you really need these jeans or do you just want these jeans? Because they are coming from the, like a very slow fashion mindset where they're like, we would rather somebody purchase these that actually needs them, knows what they're made of. And has a plan for their afterlife, like when they're done wearing them, what are they going to do with them? Are they going to donate them? Are they going to give them to their younger sister or brother or whatever? Um, and I just think that is something that I've been keeping in my head is like, do I actually need this? Mm-hmm. In this time, it's hard because sometimes you kind of need things as a pick-me-up or whatever, and you have to show yourself love in those moments too. But I think overarchingly, when you're when you're purchasing something, slowing down, okay listen, do I actually need this? Do I know anything about this product? Do I have any idea what I'm going to do with it? Whether it's the package itself or the item itself when I'm done with it. And even just those simple questions can completely transform how you consume.
0: Yeah, I like what you said about, it's not just about like picking better brands, but it's really slowing down the buying that we're doing. Like we don't need a lot of- the totally. things that we consume, and we're totally manipulated mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. by those like shiny images and commercials or whatever it is. Um, totally. But it's not just; it is choosing better brands sometimes. But sometimes it's just not
1: buying things. Totally, I think it's like that. It's that idea of making do that I think for me mm. is like kind of a romantic concept of instead of kind of picking the easy way out picking something new and shiny and just getting it because you want to like actually like challenging yourself and your creativity to be like can I actually make do with something that I already own and I've done that with clothing in terms of I had all these shirts that I was like never wearing and I'm like can I crop these can I embroider a sleeve of this can I do something Mm. with
2: this oh my headphones died can you still hear me yep okay sweet um but yeah can I reimagine this in a way that will kind of reinvigorate it in my life and how I want to use it rather than buying something new and I think that's even such a simple way of not buying something but reimagining something that you already own
0: yeah and it's so hard that you know we're talking about this mid-November so I like I said I was in Target and Christmas music is playing and there's all these the things decorations everywhere, are decorations are out. And I was like, totally. what, what is happening? So do you have any like tips or things you've been doing kind of in the last few years around holidays or like gift giving for being more conscious?
2: Yeah, I love that. Um, it's actually something that I've loved challenging myself with, especially in the past few years. Not only because like financially, I think there's kind of this, you um, like isolation that can come about if you're not really in a financial position to buy every single person in your Mm. family, like these elaborate gifts, even if that's something that they're able to get, that was something that I always struggled with being somebody that was a service worker. I didn't always have hundreds of excess dollars to pay, um, to get these like beautiful gifts that I'd love to be able to give my family, but I just didn't have the resources to do it. So I kind of angled all that energy into either experiences or into homemade gifts. Um, So one year I made everybody candles and I like would put rose petals or different things into the candle wax. And then every single person got a different thing. And then I wrote a letter about how they bring light into my life. So cheesy, but it worked. (laughs) Um, Ooh, I love that. I might steal that. Yeah, steal it. It's really, it was really sweet. Um, (laughs) But I found like trying to make something, um, even if it is kind of small, like hand pouring a candle or and like writing a letter, somebody knows that I've put my own time and energy into it, even if it's not monetary. Um, so I try to focus my energy into doing stuff that's more heartfelt and maybe more small, um, but still gets the point across, which is what I guess the holidays are really about, which is showing love for the people in your life. Um, and then I, I collected a bunch of different scarves and bandanas over the years. Also at thrift stores, they often have like those bins of bandanas and stuff like that. And I use those as wrapping paper. And then afterwards, Mm. I just take it back, (laughs) which seems like (laughs) a little bit strange. But now it's kind of just a custom. Like my parents understand that when they open something, they just kind of hand me back the handkerchief and then I fold it back up. It's not as maybe satisfying as ripping open paper. But at the end of the day, they understand. And I think it kind of quells all of my anxiety that I can sometimes have around all the waste that happens over the holidays. Um, It's like my small way of kind of being that example but I think at the end of the day if you find a way to show yeah a show love for the people in your life like I don't think anyone's going to be asking for a receipt you know (laughs) just ask how much you spent you know what I mean so um, Mm -hmm. I think you can redefine traditions in your house if you really want to I think if your family understands where you're coming from and if you're able to articulate it well enough not saying like I don't want to spend money on you because of x y and z but if you explain that obviously we all have so much and like the way that I want to show you guys love this year is by cooking like helping to cook the meal or by doing this right. or by doing that I think um as long as you kind of explain where you're coming from it doesn't have to be focused on the consuming of good gifts or um on that but really just on quality time spent
0: oh that's so beautiful I really appreciate that <laughs> because I think that um it, it, ge- it genuinely gives me anxiety now that I think. And mm-hmm. now that I know about more things and the environment, like a couple, two Christmases ago or so, my partner and I at the time were at one of his family members house and everyone's like ripping open all these presents and there's like paper flying everywhere. And I didn't want to be rude mm-hmm. and be like, we should recycle this yeah. or Fold blah, blah, blah. this
2: up and reuse it. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I didn't want to be that person. Like I wasn't like fully ready to explain it or like didn't have the language yet. I just knew it was making me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So when some of his family left the room, I like got out a garbage bag that I brought and was like, guys, put everything (laughs) in here. I'm going to bring it out to the truck and I'm going to recycle it. Like this like covert mission to recycle wrapping paper. So hilarious. But now I think I'm a little more equipped to be like, hey, I I have an idea. But at the time it was like that
2: thing where you're like, I don't want
0: to make people uncomfortable.
2: Totally. And I think... a lot of that comes from like not giving people the benefit of the doubt. Like I think yeah. I was always expecting my parents and my family to be so much worse about it being like, no, not in here. Like, blah, blah, blah. But like, since I've kind of opened up and been super transparent about how I've been feeling uh, about all these different issues, even about starting veganism, like we've had multiple vegan Christmases now, which has been so amazing. And I never ever would have thought that would have been the case and mm-hmm. about consuming, like now they put, um, gifts in, uh, pillowcases and they'll wrap them up in reusable bags and stuff like that, which is like the most adorable thing ever for me. And I just think I didn't give them the benefit of the doubt that they would be able to change. And that's such a limiting belief, both for them and for me to not like think that they would kind of see a different side of things. And I've appreciated that so much, but I think, yeah, giving, as long as you again, have the, the language equipped to not come off angry or judgmental or confrontational, but be like, Hey, I love this time with you guys. This is how I'd like to spend it because of this, this, and this reason. Um, I would love that to be with you guys. If you, if you'd also be comfortable instead of being like, you're all wasteful Scrooges or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's what I was just going to say is like, there's a way to approach that conversation with just being like, I'm not saying you're a bad person because no. you're doing what you've always known to do. Like, totally. just like all of us have, it's yeah. not that you're bad. It's just that like, our systems are kind of fucked up <laughs> and really. we're learning about
2: that. And
0: yeah. that's okay. It's not about, cause it's so easy. And I've been in this place too, to be defensive and be like, Oh, you're just calling me a bad person. Yeah. You take on like an identity with it. Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to not I've been trying to learn to be better about not putting people in that space. Totally. It's hard.
2: Yeah. And it's harmful for, for your perception of them just as much as it is for you. And I feel like when you do limit people by how you see them in their actions, like you kind of, you don't let anybody grow and you also don't let yourself grow in that situation mm. at all. Like, I feel like when I'm with my family, I often revert back to like a very high school version of myself. I'm like much more quicker to anger and to become sassy. Yes. And like, here I'm like all Zen and I'm like, oh, no problem. Like, let's talk about where you're coming from. I'm like, oh, that was my ego flaring up. And then with my mom, I'm like, mom, you stupid. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, how quickly do I lose myself in like my my younger, angrier version of me because I'm back in my home. And I think that can be a big challenge in terms of these kind of conversations where you kind of expect the worst, but it's it's all learning, I guess. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's this concept that I've thought of so many times then of just creating the story before it happens. Mm-hmm. So, like with family I always do that. or whatever, I've been working on it, but it's like I can't go mm-hmm. into this conversation thinking it's not going to go well because I'm already then in this frame of mind of like, oh, this sucks. This is going to be hard. Totally. Like, what if I go into this conversation mm-hmm. being like, this is going to go really well?
2: Yeah, I love, you know, I like love that
0: trying to not create I guess it's manifesting
2: the outcome I want I'm kind of projecting projecting your own like ideas or insecurities about how you are going to handle it or how they're going to handle it and it's just like I think we all need to give each other a little bit of a break when it comes to those kind of yes. conversations I think people yeah. can surprise us if we let them
0: Totally. Oh, if we let them, that's powerful. <laughs> sure. um, two last questions. Mm. One, I just want to shout out to the foster pups you yeah. had because I really enjoy seeing them on social media. It's so fun. Who do you have right now? So
2: I have Teo. You can come up now. I know I haven't been letting you come up, but you can come up. Um, his name is Teo. He's like, okay, he's being lazy now, even though he's been trying to get up here this whole time. Um, he's a street pup for, from Mexico and I'm fostering him, uh, with an organization called New Collar Collective. Uh, they're based out of Toronto. Um, and they actually were working with an organization that was in Oaxaca, Mexico, well, it's still in Oaxaca, Mexico. And they drove up, uh, mid like uh COVID everything from Mexico and it's like South Mexico it's like very far it took them like four and a half days and they just like met us in a park and we just like each got our own foster dogs and they have their little jackets because it's too cold for them here because they're used to like being on the street which is like it's very sweet he gets his like he has a red puffer jacket
0: for the Canadian winter so
2: cute i such a weird looking
0: dog right Yeah. He's the listeners are going to have to go to your Instagram to see, cause this is just audio. So he is great.
2: Yeah. He's such a sweetie and he's honestly, it's been so much fun because he's around nine months old. So he has a lot of energy, like way more energy than I think <laughs> we were uh, anticipating, which has been, it's been great because it's also been a way of getting us out of a house. You, you mm-hmm. understand how cold it can get so quickly. So I think it was pretty, um, it was pretty great timing that now we like have to leave the house at least twice a day for like long, long walks, which normally I would never do, especially when the weather is as cold as it is is right now. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, But yeah, I've had two other foster dogs um, who have also been great and both got adopted. And it's been like, it's so rewarding, honestly, it's probably the best thing that we've done this year (laughs) in terms of just like, it, it feels, it feels so great.
0: How do you give them up after you bond with them?
2: Um it's on it it's so weird. So our last foster dog Sandy, we had for I think almost six weeks and that was really difficult because she almost just blended so easily into our routine and our schedule. Um, but when she left, she left with like the sweetest family I've ever met in my entire life. And they have like a four acre property and they like Aww. send us videos every week about how she's doing. So it felt like a very natural transition for her because they just were like, they literally said that they saw a picture of her and they were like, oh my God, we have to have this dog. Like we, we love her oh. so much. So it felt very romantic <laughs> yeah. that they found her and that they were as sweet as they were. Oh, thank you. He's such um, a funny looking yeah, dog. I know. He's so goofy looking. Um, so we were very happy about her uh, getting adopted to the family that she, she got adopted to. And as for Teo, he's actually getting adopted fingers crossed by a friend of mine, which is so exciting oh, because um, he isn't like the most conventionally attractive dog, I would say, but what he lacks in conventional beauty, he makes up for in personality. Cause he's like literally the best <laughs> dog ever. He's so fun and um, yeah, they were watching my stories and they were like, wait, is this our dog? Like, I think Kristen has our dog. So they've been applying and it's um, it's about like a day, I think, away from being fully confirmed and we're dropping him off. So it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Well, that's good. You'll get to see him still and-
2: Yeah, exactly. Which is have awesome. Have him in your life. We're going to miss him, even though he has ruined like all the nice things in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky he's cute, right? No, seriously.
0: So the last thing is- Everyone I talk to, which is why I love doing this, is doing like amazing things in the world, (laughs) including you. Just like the the things you share about, the things you talk about, the conversations you're willing to have. They're hard, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're hard to have and it's hard work to do. Mm -hmm. But um, what do you do to take care of yourself then, given all that work? Like what do you do to kind of tap in
2: and slow down? That's such a great question. I think this year I've had to really come to terms with that a lot more than ever before. I really had a lot of issues surrounding, like, just, like, taking care of my own mental health. I think I was in this Mm. kind of, especially um, early spring to summer, I was, like, raring to go. I was always, like, excited to be on social media, and then I just wasn't. I was, I felt really disconnected from myself, and I also was dealing with a little bit of health issues at the time, so I was just, like, not, feeling super inspired to share and I think that was when I had to realize that I had to have my own routine like my own morning routine that kind of grounded me before I started my day because I was getting in the habit of like as soon as I woke up especially when everything was happening in in June around George Floyd and all of the protests Mm -hmm. and all of the like learning around um like anti-black racism I just felt like I my my screen time on the on my On my phone skyrocketed and I just felt like super overwhelmed. So I just was like, okay, before I open my phone, I need to be able to journal. I need to drink a lot of water. I need to meditate and I need to do something that moves my body. And then I can start my day. I can spend the rest of like 12 hours on my phone after that, but I have to make sure that I do those things before I kind of get going. And, um, since I've kind of made that a part of my day, my whole, like my whole mind frame is completely like just changed. And I feel so much more grounded when I start my day, which is something I'm so grateful for. But yeah, I think for you. journaling is honestly <laughs> like a lifesaver. I love journaling so much. I never thought that I would. I used to journal all the time as a kid. Um, and now it's just at least a page a day when I wake up.
0: Oh, I love that. Good for you. That is, that is such an important practice to like give ourselves space.
2: Hmm and i felt like um my brain kind of always works in overdrive like i'm always kind of thinking about everything all the time <laughs> so it was a really same. nice same <laughs> give my brain a little bit of a reprieve and, uh, to start mm. my by kind of there's this graphic on Instagram where it's like before journaling and it's like all of this like these lines and this like cloud above your head and then it says after journaling and, and then it's literally the journal with all those same clouds kind of in it and the, and the mind is clear and I'm like oh my god that's literally how I feel after I journal I feel like I'm kind of taking all this mess that's always circulating in my head and I'm putting it in a physical form and giving my brain that break and that's been something that I've really appreciated.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, what a good way to end. Good advice. Yeah, this
2: was so fun.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did and you are inspired to go out and thrift next time you need something new. If you're enjoying this podcast, hit subscribe wherever you're listening. And if you want to help this podcast grow and get it into the ears of more listeners, send it to a friend, text it to a family member, share on social media, and tag me. Whatever you can do, I greatly appreciate. And to really help me out, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. You could be read on air as a review of the week in a Sunday solo episode.
1: Until next time.